New jingle, new voices. Welcome to this special guest season of Retrain Your Brain with me, chartered psychologist Dr. Audrey Tang. In this season, I am privileged to speak to so many well-being guest experts to learn all about their field and to give you loads of practical tips and tools to live your best life. Now, tonight, I wanted to talk about life changes. And my first guest is actress Tessa Wood, who moved from London to settle in Northamptonshire. And she is here to talk about her latest film, but also why she chose to make such a change. So welcome to The Lounge, Tessa. Thank you, Audrey. Really delighted to be here. I'm so happy you're here. And I'm very excited to hear about your latest film. I know you've got others in the pipeline, but this one was also filmed in the area. And this is an English haunting. So it's one of those gothic Edgar Allan Poe-esque type horror films and set in the English countryside. Tell me about it, please. Well, it was uh, about the sixth or seventh film uh, from a very talented young film director called Charlie Steeds. This one was filmed in an absolutely gorgeous estate uh, on the Northamptonshire-Warwickshire border, a place called Upper Shuckborough, the home of Sir James Shuckborough, who I think was something like the 15th Earl of Shuckborough or something like that. So it was quite a revelation for me uh, coming up from London to this 2,000 acre estate with peacocks squawking all over and stalking around the grounds and, you know, its own church and uh, quite a history. This was Sir James Shuckborough's first foray into having a film crew there. And I think he was a little bit nervous about it to begin with <laughs> but then he got to know us a bit and the dogs took to us which is always a good sign and so um we ended up being good friends and uh in fact now he knows I'm living in Northamptonshire he said do let me know if you fancy popping over for a cuppa you know with your husband and uh it'd be lovely to see you again so we got on very well actually and, and thank you James should you be listening for le- allowing us to you know, take over big parts of, of the house because it I don't know what we'd have done without it. It was amazing. Because you're filming a horror. You yes. are ensconced in this story already. You're clearly a- attached to the characters and you're living these roles. Yes. Did you feel genuinely afraid at any point? I can't say I felt genuinely afraid, but I felt deeply affected by the place. And so it it really helped um, to inhabit the character. I didn't actually need to do anything, but just feel. And some of those feelings were really bleak. Mm. And I hope it, it comes across. But um, yes, there were one. There's one scene in particular where I I see my father, who's who's dying mm. um, when he was younger and not dying. Uh, but I'm playing to nobody there at that particular moment. It's all in my head. But I did feel this overwhelming sense of sadness and and bleakness. And uh, I think it was largely because of the the atmosphere of the place. And I play not a terribly nice character at all, actually. I'm an alcoholic. As you will know, Audrey, alcoholism affects people in many, many different ways. So some people become the life and soul of the party and, and they, they become silly and people enjoy being around them and some get bitter and angry. 
And that was more the direction I moved in. I think that's one of the, in a way, the joys, but also the difficulties of acting is that inhabiting the character that is very unlike you, or maybe there's elements that can you can connect with or resonate with you. Hidden away in dark recesses of our personalities, mm. hopefully hidden away, there are all kinds of things. Mm. You know, I find it as an actress quite easy to tap into sadness. Like all of us, I've lost people very close mm. to me and I lost a, a baby. Uh, and so that is there, you know, like a well inside. Mm. And there are also times in my life when I've been intensely angry. Um, I got attacked very badly when I was in my early 20s oh, goodness. Uh, by a complete stranger. And uh, I think I'm lucky to be alive. Oh, my gosh. And, and then I got attacked again. And, and I got um, I was living in London as a single young, very young single woman left home at 18. Um, and I suppose I was quite vulnerable, really. But I, I was on the receiving end of some fairly horrible things. And I was a real innocent when I came to London and it made me lose my innocence mm. and I, it made me incredibly angry with men for a while, I have to say. And um, because it was men who were attacking me, not women. And I and the worst attack, you know, people say, oh, well, maybe you were wearing a short skirt or maybe you were probably. Oh, mm. I was wearing a pair of Doc Martens mm. and a pair of, you know, heavy duty uh jeans you know sort of baggy jeans and a, a very uh, beige and unremarkable sweater you know even though it happened a long time ago I remember the details and it was so far from inviting any attention. How have you been able to I guess rebuild and galvanize your own resilience through that as a person and this is even before we get on to how certain characters might trigger some of those well that's such a good question because i think when you have issues they can maybe take a while to build until you get to the point where you think there's a problem and because of what had happened to me it made it very hard for me to trust men mm. and to to actually attract the right kind of men mm. with which I could build a relationship mm. um and so uh uh in the end um a few things sort of you know they talk about the ducks lining up so a few bad ducks lined up mm. uh I lost my parents I came to the end of a very long run in the west end of Rocky Horror Show oh. and I probably had had one too many bad relationships oh. and I was in a very bad place and I got anorexia on right. top of it all so I, I sound a mess I was a mess then I'm not now mm. thankfully but mm. you know for a good few years in my late 20s and early 30s I was a real mess and so uh, in the end I went I had a fantastic GP and he said right I, I know what we're going to do we're going to put you on antidepressants oh. and I said um no, no, thank you. I, I don't want to go on antidepressants. I want to find out what's causing all these issues. Um, what I really want is to see a good psychotherapist. And he said, okay, leave it with me. I will see what I can do. Oh. And I was incredibly lucky. And I got to see a top 
Harley Street psychotherapist who one day a week happened to work for the NHS. He was an extraordinary man, actually. And sometime later, I wrote and thanked him and I got a really nice reply. He said, it's rare to get a, a happy ending. Oh. But I'm so glad you have. And, and, and it was just lovely. And so there was sort of closure on it all. It was a process I went through. Mm. Uh, and I'm in some ways, I'm glad I did. One thing that pushed me in not a terribly good direction was, was this move, because I had lived in London for 50 yeah. years. And then uh, as it got closer and closer to the move, I started to get terrible feelings of not being sure we were doing the right thing. And the closer it got, the worse it became. Right. And a lot of my friends were saying, oh, for God's sake, just pull out. Mm. I was saying, I can't. We spent so much money. Mm. And they're saying, it doesn't matter. Just pull out. You know, it's not, it doesn't matter how much money you've spent. It's not worth it to make you feel so terrible. Yeah. What, what got you through those sort of critical moments? Do you mind me asking? Oh, you mean the more recent ones? The more recent ones, just that um, when you were feeling it again and then you had, you decided to push through and you're in a better place now. What got you through? Well, um, I think a few things. One, I knew that my husband was absolutely passionate about the move. Oh. And I don't think he particularly enjoyed living in London. He was he's Scottish. And he'd worked in the Midlands, uh, in, both in Birmingham and Nottingham for a long time right. uh, in television. So I think his conviction that it was the right thing helped me. But I have a particular female friend who, uh, who's just delightful. And she came up and viewed the house with us three times oh. before we uh, completed. And she was really enthusiastic. And she could see that London was wearing me out. And mm. uh, it wasn't... I used to get these awful coughs in the winter and mm. the air is so awful. Mm. I mean, having said that, I do still love London. So I'm not somebody who's left London and thinks it's the pits far from mm. it. But I think from a health point of view, the air is, is not good. Nobody can say it is. I mean, moving here, it was astonishing to be able to drive around in a car and not to be made to feel like a pariah. <laughs> the thing that really amazes me is you can park without having to pay. Yes, um, yes. Maybe it's, not in Northampton, but in the other little towns, you can. <laughs> it's absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, just hearing you, because you, you've mentioned four significant things there. You've, you've talked about your husband and his conviction and wanting to support that. And I think that's important. Good friends. So having a network to really support you and be Definitely. with you. Also Definitely. wonderful. The yes. health benefits of just simply getting outside and the fresh air. And yes. then the little things like parking, like yes. being able to drive without judgment. And, and those, those are the things that we do need to focus on sometimes for our mental well-being. They make such a difference. And I'll tell you something else that is a small thing that most people probably wouldn't think about. In London, if you have a car, it's extremely rare to have a drive. You have to pay to buy a parking permit, but it doesn't guarantee you a parking space. Yes. You might have to park two streets away. So you come back from the supermarket with, you know, your great big heavy bags of shopping <laughs> and you've maybe got to park in another street. And love Here, I can just drive up to the back door. Yes. So little things like that make a massive difference. That's what it's yeah. all about. <laughs> back to to an English haunting and the role that you play because you do you play an alcoholic person yes. and uh, what are your thoughts about how mental health is 
or mental ill health is represented in the media, in films and so on? Well, I think uh, two separate things. I think in the media, mm. hit and miss, um, I know that mental health is, is much more in the foreground now than it was even five years ago. Mm. Uh, but I, I think actually the really great work it happens slightly below the radar. You know, I have a, a um, an ex, I used to be a voice coach mm -hmm. and I have an ex student of mine um, who founded an organization called Seed, which uh, helps people with anorexia. Mm -hmm. uh, so both the people who are suffering from anorexia and their families, mm -hmm. and they do incredible work uh, and helping to understand, raising money for research and all that sort of thing. So, so I think they're amazing. The media obviously likes to tell a good story. Yes. And telling a good story can sometimes conflict with yeah. people's needs is, is what I feel. However, you asked me about uh, film and telly. I think there's some amazing portrayals of yes. uh, mental ill health. Uh, and I'm just thinking of some I've seen recently. Um, there was a marvellous film with Stephen Graham called Boiling Point. It was all filmed on one continuous take. He plays mm. a chef in a pretty upmarket restaurant. Mm. And he's got a really seriously bad coke habit mm. and he's heading for a nervous breakdown. And so in this, and, and it's about the relationship between himself and his sous chef and mm. the other people in the kitchen. Everything's going wrong. You mm. know, they've got the press in to review the restaurant. And it's, Stephen Graham is a fantastic actor. Yeah. But the whole idea portrayed somebody's downward spiral into breakdown mm. just brilliantly. Mm. I was knocked out with that. Um, you know, things like uh, Saran Jones uh, in uh, Vigil, which is yes. a TV series. And I mean, it's very far fetched, but her portrayal of somebody suffering from PTSD and uh, um, claustrophobia mm. uh, was riveting, I, mm. I thought. Mm. Um, you know, and then, and then going back, one of my favorite films is uh, Don't Look Now by the amazing director Nicholas Rogue. Uh, with starring Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland. And that's an extraordinary portrayal of grief. Mm. Uh, a couple who've lost a, a small child in a drowning and uh, the effect it has on their marriage. And he, he's a, he restores uh, ch uh, ancient churches and they go off to Italy, to Venice. Mm. And uh, you know, they the keep thinking they're seeing the child. Um, it's just it's a haunting portrayal of grief so i think there are lots of astonishing portrayals of emotional extremists and turmoil mm. uh, especially on, on film and television it's really interesting you talk about some of these beautiful portrayals because not only does it get us talking about it when we yes. connect with a character and we can perhaps see ourselves and it resonates with us yes. and that's one of the beauties of your your job it's one of the amazing things that you as an actress get to do what else do you love about acting well i know a lot of actors say this but telling the story yeah. uh losing myself in a character that is not like me um but trying to mine little aspects of myself that because i think we can relate to each other, even people who are incredibly different from us. And 
within the character, I can find something nearly always that I can relate to because there's something in me that mm. is like that character. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, my favorite play that I've ever done is a play called Five Kinds of Silence by a wonderful Nottingham playwright called Sheila Stevenson. Mm. And it's uh, uh, set in working class Manchester and it is a very uh, painful portrayal of uh, domestic abuse. Mm. A father has been abusing his wife and his two daughters for 30 years. Oh. And I've never been, you know, suffered from domestic abuse. Uh, I'm not from Manchester. I'm not even really from that sort of background. But I related to the mother role, which was what I was playing, probably more deeply than to any other role I've ever played. Wow. And, and people said it was the best thing I've ever done. And uh, friends would come and they'd said we'd watch it and they couldn't even see me anymore. Uh, well, I, I didn't do anything different physically apart from take my makeup off. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very naked looking facially. Uh, but I, I just in, allowed the character to inhabit me. And I remember there was one night I came off stage and I'd you know, been weeping as the character mm -hmm. and terrified as the character is as the husband is violent and abusive and you know she's in fear of her life and I came off stage you know tears running down my face really having gone through the ringer emotionally and I just thought I couldn't be happier wow and so it's I don't know it's maybe just the privilege of being allowed to connect to deep uh, areas of the human condition. Now, what are your plans for the future? Because you've done theatre, you've done television, film. Well, um, I I love doing all of it, and I'm still auditioning like mad. I've got a, my agent sent me an email just before we started this Zoom oh. with a, a audition. It's only for a commercial, but you know somebody's got to get it. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm auditioning all the time uh, for various things quite a lot of films telly commercials um and i would like to do some theater oh. if james dacre from the Durngate is listening i have written to him actually uh i would love to work at the Durngate because i'd like to work in one of my local theaters uh the rsc as well but you know it's a little bit further off our patch um, Cambridge, but I, I know that most of these theatres now don't do so much homegrown stuff, but I, I, I do know that uh, the Royal and Durngate makes an, more of an effort than many to yeah. do homegrown work, so yeah. I, I would be very interested in doing that, and other than that it's just sort of back to the drawing board and, you know, talking about projects, um, I'm hoping to do another project with Charlie Steeds, um, because uh, I, we seem to really enjoy working together. Just keep enjoying the business. <laughs> exactly, and it's very exciting. So where can we maybe watch An English Haunting or find out more about you and your work? Uh, and An English so Haunting is on Amazon Prime. Uh, and I have another film. Oh, I've got a couple of films, actually, uh, on Amazon Prime. Uh, there's um, A Killer Next Door, which is a, a true crime drama. I play an American in that. Mm -hmm. And it's it's about a man, it's a true story. Uh, he um, killed his entire family. 
and then took on a new identity and went to a new state in America. Mm. I play his second wife. Gosh. And so uh, it's all against a backdrop of, of quite extreme religious fervor. And Performance gives you the opportunity to explore so many different facets of yourself and of character and exactly. of human nature. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, I get the script and I'm not even sure if I can do it. It's like, I suppose, a bit like a sculptor must feel when they've given the great big lump of bronze or rock or whatever it is and it's blank mm. and then they've got to start chiseling away and eventually something emerges that's recognizable and that's a bit how I approach some of the, the scripts I get I just don't know how I'm going to do it until I start to work on it and something just happens and uh, sometimes I, I don't even know where it comes from I really don't. People maybe see actors and they just think, well, they've maybe had a few rehearsals and learned the lines. Well, maybe that's the case for some actors. It's certainly not the case for me. I, I you know, start it from way out there and then refine and refine and refine and then find, hopefully find something that's uh, watchable. I think that's such a beautiful philosophy for life. That's a really nice thing to end on in that there, it can seem so unsurmountable, but then as you stick with something, you are able to mould it into something that becomes absolutely beautiful. Well, I thank, hope you, so. <laughs> thank you so much for your time, Tessa. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you, Audrey. Really lovely talking to you as well. And that's all we have time for. But if you'd like to find out more, do go to my website, which is www.draudreyt.com and check out my articles, which give you practical tools to live your best life. Or you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Audrey Tang, Tools to Thrive.